0: Block Talk Radio
1: And now it's time for Healing from Within with your host Tony Valen
0: Welcome to Healing from Within. I'm your host, Tony Valen. You can contact me, Tony, at TonyValen.com or visit our website, HealingFromWithin.net. Follow the show on Twitter at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. Just search Healing from Within or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube.
1: This is Suzanne Danielle George here on behalf of Healing from Within with Tony Valen on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Suzanne Danielle George, pastor of the Temple of Spiritual Awareness. To learn more about me and my church, go to templeofspirituala.wix.com. Like me on Facebook at the Temple of Spiritual Awareness, and follow me on Twitter at a temple spiritual. We have opened a GoFundMe account to establish a permanent home for our community-oriented ministry. This unique ministry is an outgrowth of more than 30 years of selfless effort to establish a foundation for spiritual development and personal awareness. Inspired and encouraged by... Dr. Paul Danielle, my father and mentor who founded the College of Metaphysical Studies I have chosen to carry the torch and continue and evolve many of his teachings to further the great work he spent so many years creating we are a small church but growing and now number 86 members in a short 6 months of our meeting please review our Facebook page and website at the Temple of Spiritual Awareness Visit our GoFundMe account and help us to help others. You can find our GoFundMe account on our website, Facebook, and Twitter. As a part of our campaign in finding a new home for our followers, I have commissioned an art installment that will be permanently displayed in our new home. The art is of a tree. With your donations, a part of the tree will be formed with your name. For each $5 donation, a leaf. For a $10 donation, a stem. For $25 a branch, for $50 a part of the trunk, and for $100 donation a root. Those that make a donation of $100 will also receive a signed copy of my book, Evolution of Awareness, Tools for Spiritual Evolution, and Lessons for Personal Reflection. The sole purpose of our ministry is to build community that celebrates our journey on life's path, both the internal journey and the external journey through knowledge, encouragement, compassion, and community outreach. This ministry reaches not just those who actively attend meetings and services, it also touches those who connect to us online where we share our lessons, experiences, and meditations. Now all we need is a permanent home, a place to continue to grow and serve and expand the work that we do. As a symbol of your donation, our tree will be a permanent reminder of your kindness and generosity. GoFundMe is a great way to support not just our church, but the process of spiritual and personal growth in our community. Again, to learn more about our efforts, you can go to templeofspirituala.wix.com. Like me on Facebook at the Temple of Spiritual Awareness. And follow me on Twitter at Temple Spiritual. I am Suzanne Danielle George, the pastor of the Temple of Spiritual Awareness, reminding you to support and be the change you wish to see in the world. Again, this is Suzanne Danielle George. Pastor of the Temple of Spiritual Awareness, here on behalf of Healing from Within with Tony Valen on Blog Talk Radio, airing Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central.
0: Joining us on today's show is Patty Conklin. Patty is a world class energy healer, facilitator, and author. You can learn more about Patty by going to pattyconklin.com, like Patty Conklin Inc. on Facebook, and follow Patty Conklin Inc. on Twitter. Patty, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me on. Well, we're very excited to have you. So let's get started, and uh, let's start off with my first question. What are your gifts, and how did your journey begin?
2: Oh, wow. Um, I was born with my gifts, and I became slightly aware at age three that um, um, I was looking inside the body, but it really wasn't that incredible because I thought everybody looked inside the body. Um, but it was uh, age three when I began to, to really see inside of the body and kind of uh, just continued to uh, have it grow as life went on. Um, especially being a teenager and watching people speak and watching their words form in the hemisphere of their brain and then go down into their body. It was just kind of a fascinating journey, but it's been um It's been all my life.
0: Wonderful. So let's talk about your book, God Within, The Day God's Train Stopped. My first question is, how did the universe begin?
2: How did the universe begin? I believe that the universe began in frequency, and um, like radio waves, that eventually evolved into consciousness. Um, that it wasn't any. There were no constrictions on the universe. I think it's limitless, um, and and it just expands. And it's radio waves. It's particles, and that those particles eventually evolved into a consciousness that we call Creator, Source, God, Goddess, whatever, whatever it is. Um, but I believe the basis of it is all in
0: in frequency. Mm, very interesting. Um, so you work with note, vibration, color, and the divine spark. Uh, what is the power of words? The power of words is so so critical. If you, if you think
2: about it, your thoughts are shaped by the words that you give it. And, and let me give you a quick example. If you're Sorry. watching a sunrise and you have no ability to think or to speak or to hear, all you have is sight. All you can do is look at it. It's simply a sunrise. There's nothing more to it. It's your thoughts and it's your words that begin to define what it is that you're looking at. It's a breathtaking sunrise. It's an incredible sunrise. Uh, Why did I ever get out of bed this morning? It was worthless. You know, whatever words you give to any event from every second of the day there's an emotional attachment to that word, and they store within the cellular structure of your body and that's what actually creates your behavior on a day to day basis
0: mm. got it so the power of words is basically uh, you you I guess you empower what you're seeing with your words is that correct
2: you're're you're, you're giving emotion to the word mm. and so because you're giving you know you're making the choices to what uh, the emotion you're assigning to that word is your responsibility. Um, and so, you know, we can we can say, you know, let's say somebody's been having a bad back and they get up in the morning and their partner says, gee, how's your back feel this morning? You've got the choice to say, wow, it feels horrible. You know, it's in such pain and it's cramping and, you know, go on and on. Or you can say, thank you for asking, you know what, in 10 minutes it's going to feel terrific. And, and you're still validating the fact that your back hurts. You're making a choice as to how you're going to present it verbally to someone else. And that's critical because every word with that assigned emotion is storing inside of your body.
0: Got it. So, uh, okay. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying. So, um, what uh, word power, elaborate on this. What, what exactly, I mean, so, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but give me a little more details. Does that make sense what
2: I'm asking you? I think so. I think so. I, I, I think when I say word power, it's understanding that your perceptions of your life are based upon how you decide to word it and and how you view your life and how you present your life is going to be in complete um, uh, synchronicity with the words that you're giving it. So word power um, is incredibly important when you recognize that every word that you're speaking is storing within your body and disease and, and uh, illness and, and frequency and so forth get out of sync when you've got so many different behaviors or emotions attached to words in one area of your body so that it becomes dense. So your word power is critical in terms of how do you verbalize things? How do you, how do you validate what you're saying, um, you know, so that you're not being untruthful? Um, but how do you do it in such a way that your body's not taking it in as a lower frequency and creating issues out of it?
0: Right. So I guess that's a, well, That makes me think. So you think that, uh, people that are negative, that's the reason why they're sick all the time or feeling, not feeling right? They're
2: not feeling right. It's, it's absolutely. And even people who are relatively positive, um, all they need is a couple of major events in their life of the same pattern, um, to create a disease. But yes, people who are negative, who are obsessing about their life or the what ifs that they're going into fear, all of that, every single word is, is, is stored. And if you look at it from the point of view of your body's recording every single word you say, but your cell has, every individual cell works independently and it works as a community, but independently as a cell, it has a circulation system, it has a muscular system, and it has a, a um, um, oh, sure, can't think of the other word. Um, okay, I'm drawing a total blank, but it doesn't, it doesn't have discernment capabilities. Mm. So if you go to the gym every day and you work out and then you stand in front of the mirror and go, oh, my gosh, you know, I still look horrible. That's what your body recorded, not the fact that you worked out all week. And so your body goes, oh, I look horrible. Okay, I can do that for you. It doesn't know that you don't want that. It only records the words that you say. So, again, it doesn't have your cellular structure, doesn't have discernment capability. Respiration system is what the, the cell has. Um, and, so, and so when you're saying something negative, your body doesn't have that opportunity to sit and go, oh, she really didn't mean to say that. So I'm going to ignore it. It's stored. And your body is going to make literal truth out of what you're saying. Um, and so the power of your word is, is critical to what kind of a life are you really living.
0: Wow, absolutely. And you also talk about using vibration. Um, how can we use vibration to rid ourselves of blockages?
2: Yeah, for, for me, and it's my private opinion, um, just based on my history, is that there's two active frequencies in the universe, and that's color and tone. Both of them are active. Um, crystals, reiki, healing touch, um, essential oils, all of those are passive frequencies that assist the auric field. But when we want to get into the subtle energy field, which is actually your immune system where the words are stored, the words and the emotions are stored, you need an active frequency to get in there and kind of shake the cells and, and release them of the emotion. And, and quite frequently people will get a little sick after they do that. Um, you know, maybe they'll get nauseous or they'll start running a low grade fever. And my girlfriends used to tease, you know, you're the only practitioner I know that when people come to you, they usually leave feeling worse than when they came in. And it's like, well, yeah, because they're detoxing, um, the words that were stored in their, in their cellular structure. Yeah. And, you know, within a day or two, they're going to be feeling a lot better. Um, so you've got to have an active frequency, and that's color or tone. That's
0: it. Color and tone. Got it. So let me ask you a question that just popped in my head. So do you think people could benefit from a massage? Does, it, does that make any sense?
2: It, they, they don't. What happens during a massage is really interesting because the, the massage therapists, when they're massaging, obviously they're putting uh, energy into the body, putting mm-hmm. frequency into the body. And so a lot of times people will start crying or they'll go, oh, my gosh, I just had this memory flashback from, you know, elementary school. I've never thought about that. Well, what's actually taken place is the energy of the massage therapist, the frequency has gotten down into those cells and brought it into the consciousness for a memory. The challenge is, is that the massage therapist pretty much across the board doesn't have enough energy capability to pull that emotion out. But if they had music playing in the background very softly and they said to their client, listen to this music, listen to this music, what tone do you need in order to remove that emotion? And and had them start just listening and having the music flow through their body while the massage continued, then you'd have progress then you'd have a situation where they're using active frequency, as in music, um, to go ahead and remove that, that memory, uh, the emotions of that memory.
0: Mm, very interesting. Uh, you had a dream, and a light appeared within yourself and enveloped the whole room, and that made you feel safe. At the age of seven, uh, you had your first visitation with spirit you refer to as father. Tell us about mm-hmm. that.
2: It was it was phenomenal. Um, I was upstairs in my bedroom, and um, all of a sudden this mist just started floating through the wall. And I heard a voice say three things. Now, I heard a masculine voice, and people go, well, I believe that God is goddess or father is mother. And it's like it doesn't have anything to do with a sex. It has to do with um, what you trust in that given moment, the tonal quality of the voice. Mm-hmm. And so I I trusted a male figure more at the age of seven. And so what I heard were three things, that 40, um, 38 to 42 would be my greatest growth years, that 42 to 62 would be my greatest contribution, and I could come home then if I so chose. But that the purpose of my walk was to teach people to become insubstantial without transitioning. And even though I was very precocious as a seven-year-old, I never knew what that meant. And as life has gone on and I realize my ability to hear what the body is saying, I feel like my job, my task is to help people become unconditional beings without having to die to do it. How do you truly come out of judgment with the externalisms of life and yourself without having to die, without having to transfer into a spirit form? Um, and, you know, that's that's what I think it means. Um, but, you know, I may have been asked just to be washing windows, and I haven't done that yet. So my sons tease me, you know, get some windows washed just so your bases are covered right. um, before you transition. <laughs> um, but I think that my goal is to help people truly work through their judgments and, and um, their conditional statements of each other.
0: Mm. Talk to us about uh, your autoimmune disease lupus. How do you use color and frequency to improve uh, on yourself and remove this illness?
2: Yeah, when I was in my mid um, or late twenties, early thirties, I developed both forms of lupus. So I developed internal and external. Um, it took out my right kidney. It took out uh, had a couple of heart attacks, ulcerations um, throughout my body, nervous damage, nervous system damage, and. Um, and I had a visitation again, and I was shown how to move color through my body. So as soon as I was done with the visitation, I went, oh, what color do I need to remove the lupus from my body? And I moved color through black, kind of came through first. Um, but I started moving the colors through my body, and absolutely nothing happened. And I thought, why, why was I shown something that doesn't work? And I sat with it for a while, and I realized the reason it wasn't working was because I didn't identify the emotion to my disease. And so I started thinking of my life, and I realized that, you know, I, 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 did probably, I graduated early. I doubled up my junior and senior year and graduated as a 16-year-old. And all of my jobs have always been Ph.D. positions. And I realized I didn't feel worthy. Of being in those positions that I was working 80 to 100 hour weeks in order to prove that I was valid in that position so I started saying to my body what color do I need to remove my lack of self-worth what color do I need to increase my self-worth by 80% and what color do I need to remove the lupus and as soon as I did 15 minutes of that all of my symptoms stopped and within a year my blood work was perfect. And, you know, lupus is an untreatable, always fatal disease. And um, so, you know, that that was so powerful in, you know, not only looking at the fact that my disease was progressing so quickly, the doctors didn't give me a long time span to live, mm-hmm. um, but also being able to correct it. And we still test it every year.
0: That's interesting. Um, so, yeah
2: been since 1986 um that uh my blood work has been negative
0: that's wonderful now you mentioned that when you first asked for healing uh, of lupus uh you asked for the color only the color black came to you but mm-hmm. once you involved the emotion and the the real root of the problem which i understand is that you had low self-worth i guess what are the yes. colors what are the colors that you see then
2: um black still was the first color and and people kind of get freaked out with that, but if you think about it, black, browns, reds, when you're really ill, um, those colors are incredibly dense and they move very slowly through your body. So what happens is when you're when you're inhaling and you're bringing that color in through your body, it's violently shaking your cell, and when it's violently shaking the cell, it's violently shaking out that emotion. And so, you know, eventually purples and greens and whites, you know, came through. And sometimes, seriously, there would be 20 different colors just in one breath that would start out. The colors will constantly change. And if you look at it this way, if you've got a 100,000 cells that are blocked, which is like the size of a, uh, you know, pencil head, um, when you bring a color up through and it starts to shake it, if you even just have one cell that releases emotion, it changes the frequency mass of that 100 or 99,999 cells. So a different color is necessary. So when we look at color therapies that have been developed and they're external and they're shining different colors on you and so forth, there's nothing that we've created from a technological standpoint um, that knows the frequency faster than what your own body does. And so it's really about doing it yourself and getting in there and just using your own tools and letting those colors don't make an emotional connection to the color because we're really looking at frequency.
0: Very interesting. That's it. Wow. So let me ask you, just because this just popped into my head and, and I'm trying to figure out, say someone comes up to you and wants color therapy with you, what are the processes? If I walk into your office and I say, please help me with color, what are the steps? How, how would that be performed? What
2: What we do is we talk for 10 minutes about what's going on in your life personally, professionally and physically. And as you speak to me, your body speaks to me because your body may have a totally different take on what you think, you know, rather than what you think is going on consciously. So I take it from what the body says. I identify what the emotion is and where it's stored in the body. And then I have my clients just sit back and say, you know, and I'll say, what color do you need to remove resentment from um, your lymphatic system? And have them breathe color through uh, whatever the colors are, just kind of guide them. And I may push some energy. I may just push some frequency myself uh, towards that end. And they're going to do about 12 to 15 minutes of that exercise. And then they're given their homework and their homework is to do their color works every day for the next 30 days, working on that emotion. Um, and possibly if it's lymphatic, you know, getting some lymphatic massage or drainage to just kind of help with things. But I figure my job is if, if people only need to come see me once, then we've had a successful session. Um, unless people are gravely ill we don't allow people to call more than three times within the office because my feeling is if I've shown you how to do it and I give you a tool um in to utilize to take care of it, it becomes your personal responsibility. And um and I'm all about people taking personal responsibility for their thoughts and their words and, and um and, and knowing the power they have inside of themselves to heal themselves.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's actually the first and last step that everyone should consider in doing what you do.
2: Yes, absolutely. absolutely.
0: Wonderful. One of the first sessions that you worked with was a young man named William. Tell us about that.
2: He was, he was fascinating because he, he was feeling a pressure on his liver, and, um, and people, you know, he had gone to the doctor. They had done scans and so forth, um, and it was a painful area even to touch. Um, and he was at his wit's end. Everything was coming back normal. And so he contacted me, and he was very skeptical. Alternatives, you know, or frequency vibrational medicine was not his, not his thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started talking, and I said, well, tell me about your life. And he started talking about his life, and he got to age 16. And he's like, I was trapped into the football uh, team. I had a great girlfriend, had a car, wonderful parents. Um, it was a great year, but his body literally across his liver said, no, ask him again in written words. And so I asked him again, no, tell me again about 16. And he told me again about 16 and what his liver started doing was all these particles started forming so that I was basically watching and I see everything in grayscale. So I was watching this grayscale grainy movie and and I realized what had been taking place. And I said, so what's, what's been happening within the family lately? And he's like, oh, we had a family get together, saw my sister, you know, had a good time. And I said, what did your sister tell you that upset you? And, and he was quiet. And he said, you know, she told me she just had an abortion. And I was really upset with her for not, you know, talking to me about it and at least letting me help her through that. And I said, so when you were 16 and your girlfriend had the abortion, do you think there's a correlation between those two? And he's like, wait a minute, nobody knows that she had an abortion when we were 16. And I'm like, no, your body knows. And what happened was you were so angry, you were so upset that you stored that in your liver and you suppressed it. And when your sister had an abortion, and didn't talk to you about it. It brought up all of the rage and anger that you had, um, frustration, resentment, everything that you had with your girlfriend at 16 for not giving you a choice in the matter or at least discussing it with you. And he's like, oh, you know, nobody knows that. I'm like, your liver knows it. And so, again, we moved color through. He got up. He walked around for three or four minutes. He came back and he said, the pressure's totally gone. It's mm. totally gone. So, so what it was was really him understanding that he was feeling a sense of betrayal almost um, from the women in his life for not, not wanting him to be there to help them through things or not consulting him or talking to him or including him in the process. Um, and that's all it was. So what the body was saying was, look, every single time you have this emotion, you're storing it in the liver. And you really get to the point where you get the straw that broke the camel's back. And his sister telling him that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And all of a sudden, his body started manifesting physical ailments in order to get him to be aware of the emotion that was stored in there. We talk about body, mind, spirit. We talk about how spirit's the most important. It's the primary. And secondary in normal metaphysics is the mind because we're so brilliant and then our body is the temple that houses those two I look at it as spirits the most important however um, the secondary is the body because the body is the vehicle in which spirit speaks to you and your mind is your least important because it allows you to go into fear It allows you to go into the what-ifs. It allows you to go into the worries. And so many people stop their life's forward motion and the adventure of life because of fear and worry and what-ifs. So when we're looking at, you know, and almost everybody's experienced this, you get into an argument with someone, and it's heated. And, you know, maybe as soon as the argument's over, you're walking away, and your stomach's upset, it's churning or maybe your legs hurt, you feel weak in the knees. That's not just a physiological response. It was spirit saying to you, hey, you just stored an emotion in the body that is conditional, and I need you to be aware of it, and I need you to let go of it. And and so for me, the body is the vehicle in which spirit speaks. And so if you look at it, whether you've just got a head cold whether you've got a hangnail, whether you've got something more serious going on, it is, it is spirit saying to you, hey, there's a behavior that you're doing, that you're conditionalizing, that I need you to be aware of and move out.
0: You also worked with Sylvia, who came to you as a, uh, with multiple sclerosis. How did you help her?
2: Sylvia was interesting because, again, our body makes literal truth out of what we think and say. And Sylvia had been writing a um, script, um, a book of her life growing up in in, uh, the Catholic schools. And um, she started getting numbness in her hands and feet. And she went to the doctor. And a doctor is going to tell you all the things that he or she thinks it could potentially be And what we do as human beings, especially in the day of Internet, we go home and we start Googling everything. And the thing that scares us the most is the thing we focus on the most. Well, remember, your body doesn't have discernment capabilities. So for her, you know, one of the things he said is, you know, we will need to look for MS. Um, And so she started getting freaked out about that. They did a a brain uh, scan and everything looked okay. And then about a month later, she was, her symptoms were getting worse, so they did another brain scan, and they saw lesions. And what literally had been happening was her body started making truth out of what she was thinking and what she was feeling and her absolute fear of it. And so I, I pointed to her head, and I said, there's a lesion here, 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 here. And she's like, yeah. And I said, you don't have MS. What you have is severe rage that's stored at at T7 uh, in your spinal column, but the lesions were created out of your fear, not because there's multiple sclerosis. And so we worked with removing the rage because she was incredibly angry and writing this book, writing her screenplay brought up everything from her childhood and just relived it. And she was getting angrier and angrier. And every time, so she had the experiences of the child that was stored in the spine. And then she added the emotions when she was writing it um, onto it. So we started working with T7, and she was fine. She didn't have MS. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was a creation of her fear. And and think about it for a second. You know, a couple hundred years ago, before we had microscopes, you hear stories and people talking. You know, I have a bum knee. I've got a bum foot. You know, my back hurts. Um, you know, I got a, a crook in my neck. I mean, we we had just very generic statements. When we when we developed microscopes, we began to be able to identify different cell structures and how the cell structures change. And we started labeling them. So now that we're labeling them, the fear comes in of oh, my gosh, my mother had breast cancer, my grandmother had breast cancer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably end up with breast cancer. The fear of I think I'm going to end up with breast cancer is enough to create the breast cancer. Wow. Not the genetic history. The fear of it is enough to create it.
0: Yeah, once again, the power of words.
2: Absolutely, um, absolutely.
0: I forgot to mention it. I, I definitely want to mention this. You also worked with a young man named Jeremy. Uh, how did you help him with color work?
2: Oh, he was so cute. He was so cute. He, he was getting a lot of earaches. And, um, and so his mom had gotten him on the phone with me, and his tubes, the eustachian tubes, mm. uh, were very narrow yeah. in his ear canals. And so I said, you know, just imagine laser lights above your head circling. What color do you need to make those wider so that fluid can go through there easier, and um, I can't remember the colors he came up with, but he started seeing these laser lights um, circle around his head and and zap at his ears, and he was giggling because he was making it a great game, and we did it for about five minutes, seven minutes for him, And, uh, and I had him walk around, so it was important to walk around and let the energies readjust internally. And he came back, and, and he's like, Mom, Mom, my ears don't hurt anymore. And he was, you know, obviously hitting at his ears and snapping at his ears, and, uh, and he was fine. Um, and so, you know, where he was born with, um, you know, a narrowing of the tubes, um, we were able just using particles again because the body is not solid. It's made of particles. Hmm. Um, he was able to use frequency in order to widen it enough so that the pressure in his ears were gone, and he stopped having his ear infections.
0: Wow. That's, that's a wonderful story. So, Patty, why do, why do you think two different people invariably see things different? How does perception affect our lives and our choices that we make?
2: Yeah. Well, you know, everything that's ever happened to you creates your history. And so it gives you the perception of what you think is taking place. But the the piece that adds on to that is we all have our ways of communicating. And, you know, a lot of people are visual. A lot of people are auditory. A lot of people are feelers. And so you have these primary, secondary forms of communication. People expect me to be visual because, you know, I supposedly see. But I'm actually more primary auditory the body speaks to me more rapidly than it does in sight. So I'm auditory and visual. So how you communicate is how you will gather in intuitive information. So if you're an individual who is auditory, chances are you're going to hear your intuition um, and you're going to look at your perceptions through an auditory sense. The thing that's interesting is, is that science has shown that when we have a trauma, say we have a car accident, your primary and your secondary forms of communication reverse themselves. And so if I'm auditory and visual is my second, if I'm in a car accident, then the visual becomes my primary and my auditory the second. And so when we're looking at our lives, we have to look at, okay, I'm perceiving this through my life history, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm looking at this current situation through one of my five senses. And that five sense is going to be typically my primary or secondary form of communication. However, if I'm working with someone whose frequency is totally different than mine, and I'm intuiting them, then I'm going to intuit them differently. I may taste them. I may taste cancer, um, and then I have to work through my own body of what kind of cancer are they having? Where is it in their body? Cause I'm not hearing, I'm not seeing all I'm doing is tasting. And so it's a, it's a fascinating way, especially if we look at couples, Tony, this is a great example of, of couples who have gotten along for years. They've been married for years. The marriage has been really good. And all of a sudden everything starts going downhill in the marriage. Chances are, that one of them has changed the way that they perceive um, their information. So maybe uh, in the past, the wife could say to the husband, blah, 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 and he's like, I hear what you're saying. And and they get along great. And then all of a sudden he's saying, I, I see what you mean, or I'm trying to see what you mean. You know, explain it to me more. And so what's happened is, is that one of them have changed their form of communication and so where they were able to talk easily before, you have to change it. You have to change it. So when you hear all of a sudden your spouse saying, you know, I I I don't see what you're saying, then draw a diagram. Draw a diagram. Stop talking because they're no longer listening to you from an auditory sense. They've shift, shifted into a visual.
0: And what would cause someone to, to shift the way they um – You know, that change that we talked about. Yeah.
2: Yeah, how they perceive. Um, Their frequency could open up. Their frequency could could become more congested. Um, But typically, it's the frequency within the body that's shifting, that's giving them either increasing or decreasing, um, that all of a sudden is giving them a different way of communication. And you just listen closely to whoever it is you're speaking to. Um, if they say, you know, I hear that, then they're auditory. If I see that, you know, I feel what you're saying, you know, then you're kinesthetic. So change your languaging to how they're perceiving you, and that will change the relationship dynamics.
0: Mm. Very and interesting. turn it
2: back to a good good way.
0: Yeah. yeah. Back to full communication like they had at one time. Exactly. Uh, you met with Rabbi Levi and a Catholic priest, George. You had a discussion about Corinthians. 13, verse yeah. 1, love is yeah. patient, love is kind. What was yeah. that conversation?
2: It was an awesome conversation because we all had our different experiences. We, we You know, the rabbi had been uh, a survivor of the Holocaust, and, um, and the priest had fallen in love um, at an early year and had to make a decision as to whether or not he was going to uh, leave um, and not become a priest and get married or whether he was going to stay a priest and and let go of the love of his life. Um, You know, for me, it was looking at being very isolated at a young young age and uh, not having really any communication or or connection with my parents because I was outside the box, so to speak. And so we were all talking about what does love really mean? What what does it mean um, in the context of our individual lives? And you know, people generically use this term unconditional love, but the reality is is that even for for most of us who will sit and contemplate what love means, um, we have really um, screwed up the word unconditional love because love, even in itself, is a conditional statement. It's a, it's a conditional thought. Um, and so it's almost going back to that observer neutrality of what does love really mean? And the rabbi, rabbi was awesome because he, um, even though he was a survivor of the Holocaust, as was his wife, um, and we talked about their times in the prison camps, um, he never felt bitterness. He never, he was not bitter. He was not, he was not outraged. He was not bitter. He had such such a sense of serenity, and for me, out of all of us, he really was the um, the embodiment of what true um, love means, true unconditional serenity. Love truly means, and so I think it's fascinating. We would take one piece of scripture, and we would argue it for hours according to the perceptions that we had of what life really meant. And I think that that's a really important piece for people when you understand that somebody doesn't agree with you or you're, you know, having this huge conflict is that their perceptions are their perceptions and you will never be inside their head. You will never have exactly the same experiences that they had. And so if you didn't have those experiences, then how can you judge their perception of what they went through. And I think if, if a lot of us really paid attention to that, there would be a lot less uh, chaos and anger in this world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want, the next question I wanted to ask you about your book it, it involves an acronym, and it's actually <laughs> it's SHIT, Explain Spiritual Human in Transition.
2: It is. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> I, I, it, it's a great one, too. And if you really think about it, we all have times in our lives, things are going along really well, and everything starts to fall apart. And, and it will just, you know, go into a downward spiral, sometimes very quickly. And, and we want to go into this pity party or this victim party of, oh, my God, you know, why did this happen? You know, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? I tend to look at it as the spiritual human in transition. You're going through growth. When we're in pain, it tends to make us reflect, look at our life. How do I change this? How do I get out of this unbearable pain and move to a good space that I was in before? And so what I do is this is pity party time. If I find myself going into a spiral and things start getting a little wonky on me, um, my, my cue is, you know, five Oreo cookies, a glass of milk, climb in bed, you know, scream and holler if I need to, eat my Oreo cookies, drink my milk, and move on. Because what I continue to say to myself is the harder that the trauma is or the harder that the life is that I'm going through, I understand I'm growing, I'm learning something from this experience. And if I'm learning something from this experience, then how can it be a bad experience? Once you shift the perception into recognizing that, then it no longer is a bad experience. It's simply the experience. And you almost feel kind of a whoosh when you're through it. Um, and you know that things are going to get back into synchronicity at a different level, in a different way, because you've gone through growth, you've transitioned into a higher state of understanding. And so I, I like people to understand that there's not a right or wrong, it simply is. And you choose it to be a right or wrong, according to the emotion that you give it in that moment. But it's not. A, a right or wrong. It's simply a choice that you're making in that moment. And because you're making that choice, you also have ability to go back and change the perception of the choice that you made. Make it a good perception instead of a bad perception.
0: So absolutely. So in other words, shit can be good.
2: Shift and be good. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. It's always good. It's always good.
0: Yeah. You said we can either be caught up in acting the part of the victim or martyr. How do you put this in practice to make ourselves listen to our bodies?
2: Oh, so important and such a great question. I, I think it's, it's all a matter of how are you proceeding? Stop yourself when you find yourself getting frustrated or angry or why did that happen and what are they doing and you're questioning all of this external stuff. It's stopping yourself going, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I'm judging and I feel like something's happened and somebody's done me wrong, then then I'm playing the victim or martyr. If you remember that life itself is meaningless, when you were given life, you were not given meaning to life. And so every single event that happens, you choose that meaning to that event. You choose it. There's not a soul walking this earth that can make you feel anger. And there's not a soul walking this earth that can make you feel love. Those are emotions that you choose at the time of the event. And because you choose it, you can choose not to have it as a, as a stagnation or as a negative in your life. And so stop playing the victim. Stop playing the martyr. Be aware consciously at the end of every day, look at yourself in the mirror did I live my life today in my integrity and honesty? Do I realize that if people have been cranky around me, you know, the the person, the shopping clerk was all nasty and angry and somebody hit my car and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, the only thing that matters is did you stay in your integrity and honesty? Because what's happening externally is what's happening externally. Again, it's your perception, it's your emotion and words that decide whether or not it's a good experience or a bad experience. And I think the, the greatest lesson for people on the spiritual evolution is remembering that everything is happening for a reason, but you may not be honored with the, with the understanding of why that happened and to be okay with it. To be okay that you may never know why things played out the way they did. And I think that's the true test of that spiritual being is being okay with not knowing, but knowing that there's a greater purpose uh, in, in the big picture.
0: Mm. Let's talk about personal responsibility and explain cellular cleansing.
2: Oh, personal responsibility. One of my biggies. (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, everything that's happening to you is, is yours. And, and again, we're, we're back into the same place of you have the option of looking at it as a good thing or a bad thing, um, or a neutral thing. I think that, that the purpose of the evolution of spirit is to connect with your brain, um, to connect to your consciousness, so that you're in a state of conscious understanding at every moment. Um, and so it's important for you to take personal responsibility. If you get angry, it's not because someone made you angry. It's because there's anger stored inside of you. And you need to look at what was the trigger of that person's actions that made you angry and use tone or color to move it out of your body. It's not about what they did. It's about your reaction to it. Um, I developed cellular cleansing as an adjunct to color work because what I realized with color work, color work is awesome, but if you're looking at a major illness or something major going on, color work you need to take one emotion a month. So it can take you one or two years to really kind of work through an illness or disease. And I developed cellular cleansing going, okay, how can I take compilation of years without memories, without having to do talk therapy? How do I take the compilation of years and allow a metaphor, so to speak, of your cellular body to come forth in the way of a dirty room? And how do you clean that room and then put in, create an awesome space and put those awesome feelings back into the cell. Replace a, a emotion that is less than unconditional and replace it with something that's positive. And what was amazing was that all of a sudden you had people who, you know, had a perception and maybe it was a negative victim perception, whatever, that within hours of their cellular, all of a sudden started looking at the world differently. Without having to go into any memories of their childhood. In fact, it's imperative that they not go into any memories or any thoughts of their entire life. They're simply cleaning a room and creating it. And it's so simple. And I think that that's why it works. You know, there's been over six, seven thousand people now who have gone through cellular cleansing through the years. And it's amazing to see the shifts that, that instantly begin. And sometimes you get those awesome miracles where, you know, you'll have somebody cancer-free, they'll have a spontaneous um, healing, or even a skeletal structure will shift um, within within days. Um, but the body continues to let go of those memories. And you've got to remember that how you act every day, and most of us go through this, all of a sudden something triggers you, and your logical mind goes, look, I've had five, five years of therapy on this. I don't have to act out. And <laughs> you find yourself acting out anyways. Right? <laughs> and then you get, and then you get furious with yourself going, Oh my God, I paid for five years of therapy. I should be over this. <laughs> well, what's happened was, yes, logically, behaviorally, you understand that you don't need to react. However, talk therapy, hypnosis, so on, all these wonderful modalities that are val- valuable modalities don't release the memory from the cell. They don't release the emotion from the cell. And that's why you're still acting out is because the energy is triggered and that, that hidden emotion in those cells comes up to your consciousness and you find yourself acting out even though you know you don't have to. And it's why in so many major illnesses, Tony, when we're looking at, you know, cancers and and uh, lupus, and you know, going on and on and on. Why people reoccur within five years? The reason they reoccur within five years is because the emotion wasn't taken from the cell, and so the the core issue was not
0: fixed. Wow. Yeah, that that's amazing. And well, I think I guess people should learn more about what you do and, and the healing that you provide because that would definitely. Get rid of a lot of illnesses for good.
2: It would, yeah, it would. It wouldn't have to worry about it, yeah.
0: Um, in your chapter duality, darkness and light, you talk about reincarnation. Do we store emotional memories from our into our subtle energy field from previous lives?
2: We do. We store it within what I consider to be the tunnel um, within our within our structure. If if we look at the heart center that sits on top of the thymus glands. Um, in the center of your chest. If, if I look beyond that, I see the subtle energy field. The, the subtle energy field is what we came to this planet with as non, non-physical beings. We also, in science, call it our immune system. If you look beyond that, you see the soul. You see the spirit, the higher self. But if you look beyond that, you see the tunnel. And in that tunnel is stored all of your fears, your hatred, uh, reincarnation stuff that you're carrying over, genetic stuff that you're carrying over is all in this deep, dark tunnel. And if you look through the tunnel, if, you, if you've if you got the strength to go through that tunnel, you start to see the spark of the universe, the spark of the divine that's there. And so what you end up doing is facing those fears within your tunnel. If you find yourself acting in a very negative manner, out of character, you're fearful, understand you're in your tunnel and you can make it so that you're going through to the divine spark one of the things that i never understood because remember i've never trained with anyone this my work has been my work just by observation only and the development of it Um, but i never understood when i started doing conferences and people would talk about bringing in universal energy from their crown chakra uh, into their body and i just remember looking at them when they first started talking about it going why on earth would you do that You have the most powerful, you know, complete, pure peace sitting inside of you. Why would you not use that instead of a universal energy? Why aren't you using the peace that's unique to you? And I think it's because most people don't want to face going through the tunnel. And I'd love to say, you know, you can put on, you know, jet boots and just scoot through the tunnel and get to the divine and that's all there is to it (laughs) it's it's a day-to-day process that all of us go through but if we understand that that's where we store that stuff duality has to exist the tunnel is just as critical as your soul they're equal parts because you don't understand what light is without dark you don't understand what sweet is without sour you don't understand how good you can be until you understand how bad you can be. And so because we're human brain beings and we have a brain and we want to have linear thoughts and things need to make logic, then duality has to exist in order for us to have some frame of reference as to whether or not it's good or bad. And then you move beyond the point of understanding there is no good or bad, and you can blend those two and truly go into the spark.
0: This is Tony Valen, Healing from Within. You can contact me, Tony at TonyValen.com, or visit our website, HealingFromWithin.net. Follow the show on Twitter, at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. Just search Healing from Within with Tony Valen or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube.
1: This is Suzanne Danielle George, here on behalf of Healing from Within with Tony Valen on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Suzanne Danielle George, pastor of the Temple of Spiritual Awareness. To learn more about me and my church, go to Temple Like me on Facebook at the Temple of Spiritual Awareness and follow me on Twitter at a Temple Spiritual. We have opened a GoFundMe account to establish a permanent home for our community-oriented ministry. This unique ministry is an outgrowth of more than 30 years of selfless effort to establish a foundation for spiritual development and personal awareness. Inspired and encouraged by dr paul danielle my father and mentor who founded the college of metaphysical studies i have chosen to carry the torch and continue and evolve many of his teachings to further the great work he spent so many years creating we are a small church but growing and now number 86 members in a short six months of our meeting please review our facebook page and website at the temple of spiritual awareness visit our gofundme account and help us to help others You can find our GoFundMe account on our website, Facebook, and Twitter. As a part of our campaign in finding a new home for our followers, I have commissioned an art installment that will be permanently displayed in our new home. The art is of a tree. With your donations, a part of the tree will be formed with your name. For each $5 donation, a leaf. For a $10 donation, a stem. For $25 a branch, for $50 a part of the trunk, and for a $100 donation a root. Those that make a donation of $100 will also receive a signed copy of my book, Evolution of Awareness, Tools for Spiritual Evolution and Lessons for Personal Reflection. The sole purpose of our ministry is to build community that celebrates our journey on life's path, both the internal journey and the external journey through knowledge, encouragement, compassion and community outreach. This ministry reaches not just those who actively attend meetings and services, it also touches those who connect to us online, where we share our lessons, experiences, and meditations. Now all we need is a permanent home, a place to continue to grow and serve and expand the work that we do. As a symbol of your donation, our tree will be a permanent reminder of your kindness and generosity. GoFundMe is a great way to support not just our church, but the process of spiritual and personal growth in our community. Again, to learn more about our efforts, you can go to templeofspirituala.wix.com. Like me on Facebook at the Temple of Spiritual Awareness. And follow me on Twitter at Temple Spiritual. I am Suzanne Danielle George, the pastor of the Temple of Spiritual Awareness, reminding you to support and be the change you wish to see in the world. Again, this is Suzanne Danielle George pastor of the Temple of Spiritual Awareness, here on behalf of Healing from Within with Tony Valen on Blog Talk Radio, airing Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Central.
0: We're talking to our guest, Patty Conklin. Patty is a world-class energy healer, facilitator, and author. You can learn more about Patty by going to pattyconklin.com, like Patty Conklin, Inc. on Facebook, and follow Patty Conklin, Inc. on Twitter. We're talking about her book, God Within, The Day God's Train Stopped, and Patty, I wanted to ask you, in the chapter Principles of Healing, you talk about Lily, the nurse. What did she help you with? How did you help her?
2: Um, Lily was was fascinating because she was um, struggling with um, diverticulitis, mm. and, and it was a storage of deep-seated feelings of, of emotions. She was a nurse. And in her world, um, she needed to be on constantly. She needed to, to be on and not allow herself to go into an emotional state. And so, you know, a lot of us need to be on when we're working. I, okay, I understand that. But at the end of the day, you also need to care for yourself. And what Lily wasn't doing was making sure that her own needs were being met. She was putting everybody ahead of her, and she was storing deep emotions uh, within her intestinal tract, creating ulcerations um, and creating diverticulitis. And so, again, it was simply using color um, in a color exercise of color works to help her, um, A, be true to herself, validate how she was feeling about things, giving her a safe forum, to start being able every day, whether it was journaling or whether it was just talking to herself, sitting in front of a mirror, to validate how her day was going um, and to stop stuffing them. Because a lot of times we'll see in diverticulitis is people who are, or rheumatoid arthritis um, who will store their emotions very deeply and not let them come to the surface. And we all need to validate how we're feeling. And again, change perception of what was really taking place not get so emotionally invested in someone else's path.
0: Talk to us about meeting John of God and his technique of being a healer.
2: Yeah, I I went down. um, My first visit to the CASA was in 2000. And uh, I went down because I had started my work in 1995. Um, I had received another visitation when I was director of Canine Companions for Independence. And I was told to begin doing the work that I had been told to do at age seven. And I was 38. And and so I had been working for five years. And and I had some very wealthy people around me who wanted to set up a clinic, so to speak. And, um, and then they take care of my financial needs, um, similar to the CASA, mm-hmm. um, where people go for free. So you're not charging. And and so I went down, A, to really see if he was real, um, but B, to look at the model of how things were set up there and to be able to talk to him about what worked and what didn't work. And, um, and he was very gracious with his time, and he always has been. Um, but what I realized was that I was placed in a female body in the Western world. And that I needed to show people that I can pay the mortgage, I can raise my children as a single mom, I can do all the things that they do every single day and still live a life of, of spiritualism um, while I still had everything else going on. You know, it's easy to run off to a, to a monastery and uh, be in prayer all day and so forth and accelerate your gift. But, but the key for me was how do we accelerate our gifts in this everyday world that we, that we have in the Western society? And so I came back realizing that his gifts are phenomenal. He's probably the closest match to me or I'm the closest match to him um, in terms of our work and ability to manipulate frequency, if you will. Um, but for me, it was following a different path and charging And and it's amazing how much hate mail I'll get sometimes about charging um, people for utilizing my gift. Mm -hmm. Um, And we always write back and say, hey, I tithe 60% of what I make. I have no problem charging what I know I'm worth. But that gives me the opportunity to gift to the people that I want to gift to and the charities that I want to gift to. And so it's all balancing out ethically in terms of what is right for you personally. Um, so Joao you know, is incorporated, um, the entities enter into his body, and um, he's fascinating because he can be looking off, talking to you, and be doing surgery on someone and not even looking at what he's doing um, because the entities are doing, doing it. I don't incorporate. Um, at the end of the day, he has no memory of what's taken place. At the end of the day, I have memory of everything. In fact, people can call 15 years later, and I hear their voice. I hear the frequency, and I go, oh, so how's the husband and kids doing, or how's your wife doing? Did she get that promotion? And they'll go, how do you remember? And it's like because the frequency of your voice just triggered everything that we had done together uh, prior. So, you know, but, but John of God is a fascinating man, and the casa is an incredible place to visit, um, we share probably 750 to 1,000 people a year. Um, they may come see me and then continue on to the CASA, or they may go to the CASA and then come back and see me. Um, and it's really the vibration that's necessary in order to heal. Um, he has a very strong vibrational field. and um, But if he's got a half-inch wrench and you need a quarter inch out of that toolbox and he doesn't have that quarter inch, then you're going to need to find somebody that has that quarter inch. And, um, and it really is all about the frequency, the depths, the highs and the lows that each of us can go vibrationally in order to merge with your body to shift your frequency. And that's what we're really doing as facilitators.
0: Mm. The, uh, there's a comment in your book that I found very interesting. It says that people who have a gift also have a curse. Explain to, to us what that is.
2: You know, we, we all have it, and, and the more that our gift increases, the, the more that the curse increases. And, again, we're back to duality. Um, I, can't, um, I can't shut my gift off, so I'm very hesitant. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm teaching, if I'm lecturing in front of 5,000 people, um, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm up on stage. I'm doing my thing. I don't even think about the lecture before. I see the crowd. Once I see the crowd, I decide what I'm going to say. Um, but if you ask me to go to a neighborhood dinner party with five people that I've known for years, I will get severe anxiety because I'm now in a participant place. There's no shut off. So I'm hearing every single word they're saying. I get confused about what they're verbally saying versus what their body's saying, and it creates massive anxiety in me, and I end up after a half hour or so going, I need to go home. So I don't socialize a lot. Um, Dating is really hard because, um, you know, your partner, even though, you know, he may love love you very much, knows that there's no private moment in his life. And that doesn't mean that I'll ever talk about it or bring it up to them or whatever because I really believe in, in boundaries and just because I can see doesn't make it my business. But it kind of gets to them after a while that, that nothing in their life is, is theirs, um, that I'm seeing it all. And, and that, you know, for me, that's a curse. I, I don't like that aspect of it, um, but there's yeah. not much
0: to do about it. Right. Um, you also talk about East meets West. How do you embrace the duality of Eastern and Western medicine?
2: Oh, you know, the body needs both. I mean, we we have phenomenal technology. We have phenomenal technology. And, and the thing that's really important to understand is the more that we can give our body specific information when we're asking it to change a frequency, the quicker it's going to happen. And that's where our Western t- technology comes in, being able to, um, see what the CAT scan says, and, and so forth, um, to be able, or PET scan, or whatever it is we're doing, blood work, to be able to understand what's taking place within the body. Eastern medicine is best in terms of preventative, taking care of yourself, making sure that your body stays in balance, um, taking supplements and the and, uh, herbs or whatever it is, the meditation or yoga, whatever you need that's considered eastern Eastern for preventative. Western comes into play when there's a trauma, accident, whatever, that will help you, um, you know, recover quickly. But from incident to incident, and this is what people really need to hear from incident to incident, your body may need Western in that instant, and they may need Eastern in that instant. And so don't ever rule out both, you know, don't rule out the other. If you're, spiritual, that's wonderful, but even if you practice Eastern medicine, there is times that Western medicine will need to come forward, um, given different times going on in your life. So start with Eastern, You know, meditate, do your yoga, take supplements, whatever to keep your body in balance, but don't be afraid to use Western medicine, because this is what happens again with the body not having discernment capabilities if I have to go to the doctor and take a pill and my whole thought process is this isn't going to work, you know, I don't want to take a pill, I'm I, you know, this is going to be useless, then that's what it will be. And so you've got to understand, again, that your, your frame of thought, your mind process is going to make a huge difference in what's taking place. And if I'm saying, you know what, I need to go to the doctor for this, um, and also using eastern, you know, or alternative. Um, So many of my cancer patients don't go through loss of hair um, or go through the different um, side effects that most people go through with chemo Um, because when they're having their chemo, they'll be saying to their body, what color do I need to remove the excess chemo that my body doesn't need to heal? And they'll literally later on that day just have black ooze coming out of their pore. And it's the excess chemo that the body doesn't need. And so therefore, they don't go into side effects. So merge those two. Don't ever get just, you know, as soon as you make something an absolute, you've closed your mind off to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You also say that believing is everything when it comes to healing. Uh, when dealing with non believers, how do you help them? You know, non-believers are fine.
2: I mean, as long as you believe what you believe, um, is all that matters. There's not a right belief system or a wrong belief system. I've worked with atheists. I've worked with satanists. Um, you know, uh, one of my one of my students, one of my certified associates, um, you know, developed muscular dystrophy at the age of six, and um, she's an atheist. Her parents were the international presidents of you know the atheists. Uh, association. And so she grew up atheist and she married a Christian. And and she started having strong judgments and so on and so forth. And by the time she was, um, I think she was uh, 36 or so, she was in a wheelchair. And she came to me at age 44 to do a cellular. And within two hours, she was standing up unassisted. And this is a woman who had been in a wheelchair scooter for all those years was was standing up unassisted and by the next morning was able to walk down the hallway. When she flew back home, she was able to walk up the steps of her house and within 30 days was riding a bicycle around Maui. When she did her cellular, she used leprechauns because she doesn't have a belief in God or angels or guides or anything like that. So she used leprechauns. So, I don't care what the faith or belief is as long as you utilize that faith or belief. And even when I've worked with Satanists, they use Satan as their belief system because, again, it's the belief system that is operating your frequency. Your frequency is operating that belief system. They go hand in hand. So whatever you believe, believe it. And don't let people judge you for what you believe. But when you're using it as a healing modality, then take what you believe, not what someone else believes, and utilize it that way.
0: Mm, Very interesting. Uh, Chapter 18, you talk about bits and pieces. Tell us what soul fragments are.
2: Soul fragments are typically um, traumas that take place in the life and, and can also carry over from other lifetimes. Uh, but for me, they look like little tiny shards of glass and they will um, go into hiding within the body. And sometimes they actually develop into a personality of what we would consider multiple personalities or dissociative disorder. And they develop into a personality according to, this is fascinating for me, when it broke off from the soul, when the little shard broke off from the soul and went into hiding in the body whatever the highest hormone level was in your body at that given time is whether or not it would be a male or a female uh, personality. So shards are traumas. And the easiest way for people to tell if they have a shard is if they say to themselves, have I ever felt like there's a piece of me missing? Hmm. And if the answer is yes, then that means there's a shard hidden or multiple shards hidden in the body, not necessarily personalities, but shards. And so if you say to your body, what color do I need to move any um, shard back to my soul and just start doing that for the next 30 days, you'll start moving those shards back to the soul and becoming a complete person again.
0: Now, what about uh, when it comes to extraterrestrials or demonic possession? Tell us about those energies.
2: You know, they're, they're, they're totally different energies. Um, I haven't had a lot of experience with direct ET um, other than one that exploded inside a person. She was critically ill. And I started looking at her, and I realized there were all these shards. And I thought, oh, this, this, can't, this can't be your soul. Um, and so I started pulling them out, and it was just agonizing um, because it was so methodical. And as I continued to pull them out, it actually started taking shape. And this was a couple-of-day process uh, to get through it. Um, and it was an actual ET that had almost imploded inside of her. I, I don't know a better way to describe it. Um, and as soon as those were out of there, she was fine. Um, she healed, and, and she was in good shape. Um, demonic possessions, again, um, duality has to exist. As many archangels as we have, I think we have the opposite of demons. I don't think we have millions of demons. I don't think there's thousands of demons that incorporate a body. A demon is just attempting to create the balance again. So we've got light and dark. And so what we consider to be a demonic possession is actually just a darkness attempting to balance out the light, balance out and and squash the light. And so what you do is you create a high frequency within the body of the person that's possessed and create a high frequency because a high frequency and a low frequency can't stay in the same body. And so you just pop it out. And if I'm honest with with myself and everybody, I always say this, if I could do that as a full-time job, that would just be like the, the top notch. I, I You know, I just love that kind of work. Um, because it's really how high is your frequency uh, to be able to pop something out of a physical a physical form. But I don't think it's about, oh, my gosh, I'm going to take over, I'm going to cause chaos, I'm going to do all of this. It's not that kind of a thought process for the darkness. It's just simply a matter of attempting to balance out the light.
0: Mm. Yes. Um, you Also, uh, let's talk about traumatic fragmentation. Uh, you worked with a woman in New Jersey that had seven distinct multiple personalities. How does that happen, and how did you help her
2: she was She was fascinating. She had been under the care of a um, psychiatrist and mm-hmm. uh, and her physician and um, her father had been a state trooper um, or sheriff, excuse me, and he was sexually molesting her as a child and um, kept her locked in a closet and only brought her out in order to, to rape her. That's um, and yeah, it was a really traumatic uh, event for her. And so she developed these multiples. Um, but what was fascinating was there was one multiple that would come out that just sounded like this gruff, you know, 1800 log cutter, woodcutter, um, just this nasty old man and and in one of the one of the conversations um we were doing conference calls with the psychiatrist and and her and he came out and and he said i'm the only one that kept her alive i'm the only reason she's alive and i said but you're the reason that she's dying now i mean you're the reason why she can't have a functional life is because you're still there you never reincarnated back into her soul because it was a piece of her it was a it was a past life and so I said, you know, will you allow me to put all of you back into place? And um, and he, he was just kind of like, well, if you think you can, and I'm like, well, I know I can. Will you allow it? And and he said, yes. And I said to the psychiatrist and the physician, I said, you guys need to leave the room because I'm just going to push energy now and just shift her frequency of her body and and push those back into her soul. And, um, and so they're like, no, no, we want to stay in the room. We want to stay in the room. We want to see what she's doing. I'm like, okay. So I just, I just started pushing energy at a really high rate. And pretty soon they were just yelling, going, let us get out of the room. You've got us pinned against the wall. Okay, get out of the room. Let me finish this. And, um, they all went back into her soul where they were meant to be. And, and after it was all over and only took a few minutes um, the psychiatrist and doctor um, came back in the room and I was talking to her and I said you need therapy now more than ever because you've had these seven fragments these seven personalities running your life your entire life and you're not going to have their input anymore you're not going to have their thought processes Everything's going to be real for you now and there's not going to be any blackouts There's not going to be any times that you don't remember So now I need you to go into therapy in order to understand how to have a normal life. And, you know, she's married with a couple of kids and and doing wonderful. Um, But she had an incredibly traumatic childhood.
0: Wow. Um, Do you think that past lives can uh, have a play into uh, multiple personality disorder?
2: You know, I I don't know. I mean, because there's so many different variations of what a past life really is. Mm -hmm. One that science has is that is that you store your genetic um, memory, you store your memories within your DNA strands. And so when you're having a deja vu or you're having what you consider to be a past life experience, you're actually having an ancestral memory that's been passed down through your genetic strain. Um, and that makes sense to me considering how I see words store within the cellular structure. So I don't, I don't, I can't say whether it's a past life, you know, in terms of a reincarnation or whether it's a genetic memory. But I don't think that we fragment as, you know, children or adults from a past life. I think we have to bring it in and that fragment never um, consolidates with the soul and actually goes into a part of the body at birth. Um, so it really, it really just, it really just depends on on what's taking place. And because I've seen so many variations, I haven't come to any conclusions yet, honestly.
0: Yeah, uh, many prophets proclaim their own visions of humanity uh, from countries to religion as well. Um, how do we find our own faith and belief system? I
2: think what's really important is to really sit with yourself and be honest with yourself, um, you know, for, for as long as you need to, you know, maybe it's 10 minutes a day, maybe it's an hour a day of what is my belief? Not, not the beliefs that my parents gave me or my friends gave me or, or so on, but what do I really feel? What do I really have faith in and, and be solid enough so that you are not, Um, you're not um, pushed into believing a different thing. I think that people get into a lot of problems because those first seven years of your life you're not only developing your own thoughts and beliefs, but you're also getting the input at that time from your siblings and your parents and grandparents and so forth and the influences around you. And I don't think it's until we're in our late 20s that all of a sudden we start realizing that we have different beliefs and then guilt starts coming up about, oh, my gosh, well, I think differently than, than what my parents think and they're going to think I'm crazy. Um, and and the bottom line is for personal responsibility and your own personal faith and belief. Is what do you believe? What do you believe? You know, I'm I'm close to my older brother, and when I wrote the book, um, you know, he's he's in one of the chapters. Um, and, and I asked him if he wanted to read the book and he's like, why on earth would I want to believe, read the book? I don't even know what you do. And I don't even know if I care to know what you do. And I'm <laughs> like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and I mean, it was the first time he had ever visited me in my home, yeah. uh, you know, and I mean, this was just five years ago. So it's been 52 years or so. And, um, and so he, he looks around and he's like, well, obviously you're successful. So that's all I know. And that's all I really <laughs> care to know. Right. So so he started, you know, I guess one day he decided to pick up the book and he started reading it and he got to, you know, the the chapter that he's in and um and he just sent me an email and he just said, you know, this is just so over my head. I I don't understand any of it and I don't know if you're crazy or not crazy. <laughs> I guess I guess it doesn't matter. Now, you know, for most people they'd be going, "Oh my gosh, this is my favorite brother." and he, you know, and they'd want to justify themselves to him. And, uh, and I just called them, and I started laughing, and I'm like, I love you anyways. And, and you know, it wasn't about justifying myself. And, and the thing the key about faith and belief is, you know, I'll have so many doctors who will call because their patients demand that they consult with me. And so they'll call, and they'll start, you know, you're a charlatan, and this is ridiculous, and nobody has this capability. And, you know, they'll rant for a good two or three minutes, and I just let them rant. And when they're done ranting, I just say, I thank you so much for your opinion. Now, how can I help you? And and virtually all these doctors became friends. And, and the doctors become friends. And what they say is the, what made you believable is you didn't attempt to argue and you never justified your position. You just simply gave me the facts as you saw them and that was it. And I think that that's what true faith and belief is. You don't have to... Uh, persuade anyone as to what you feel and believe it's yours you own it and i think that 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 frequency emanates out of you and people can feel it and that's what brings them to you and what helps them begin their own faith and belief
0: absolutely because you're you're operating from a place of love and not ego and exactly or fear for that for that matter absolutely um in in chapter 21 the day god's train stopped which i guess is the chapter the book was named after uh tell us about the dream you had of the three identical couples
2: yeah it was it was right before my 38th birthday and um and again remember at seven i was told 38 was when my greatest growth would begin Uh. so i was on a train and um there were three identical couples on the train, and and each of their children, they each had one male child, exactly the same age, but the children looked different, but the the couples were identical. And um, all sorts of paranormal stuff started happening. Faces were coming out of the wall. It was an old train. And faces were coming out of the wall and out of books, and, and the people were just hysterical. And they're like, we have to get this train stopped. We have to... We have to get help, you know, and I'm like, no, it's okay. It's okay. Nothing major going on here. And all of a sudden I realized there was a white stallion running next to the train. And one of the men said, I'm going to go for help. This, this, this horse is here. This stallion is here in order for us to get help. So I'm going to jump out the window and I'm going to go get help. And everybody was encouraging him to go. And he Jumped out the window onto the stallion's back and even now, I mean, we're talking 20 years since that, that, um, uh, visitation or that, that essence dream happened. Um, I can hear this stallion just screaming because the instant he touched his back, the stallion started sinking into a bog and, and the man and the stallion just sunk into this, this bog and the train stopped. And I looked out the window, and the train was off the track, and everything was silent. And I turned around, and Jesus and Mother Mary were standing there. Now, my visitations I consider to be from Father, God, God Goddess, Creator, Source, whatever. Mm -hmm. But Jesus I consider, when I see Jesus, there's a personal shift coming in my life, not a professional shift, but a personal shift. And Jesus and mother Mary were standing there and Jesus looked at me and he said, we're going to give you a choice. You can get off the train, the train's off the tracks. You can get off the train right now and go live your life the way that you choose to live it. Or we will put the train back on the tracks and you will spend the rest of your life being of service, um, to our father. And no clue what he meant. Still really don't have any clue what he meant. Um, but I sat because I realized I was being given a life choice. And I told him to go ahead and put the the train back on the track, that I would be of service and that I would continue life the way that, that father asked me to, to, to live it when I was seven. And so uh, the train was put back on the track and it continued. And what was interesting was, you know, when I wrote the book 16 years ago, um, and when the publisher and I were discussing things, you know, they, everybody wanted the title changed. And I'm like, no. And that's the title. It's, it's, you know, God was in the day God's train stopped. Because for me, that was the day that I made the choice to be of service in whatever way I could. And a uh, very pivotal moment
0: for me. Mm, okay. I understand. So let me ask you quickly. What was identical about the couple's?
2: You know, it was fascinating. It was almost like three, um, I go back to the Trinity. It was uh, almost okay. like, you know, I, it was almost like Holy Ghost Spirit. I mean, it just, back to the Trinity, um, that there were three distinct avenues, three distinct avenues, and, wow. and um, I found that fascinating.
0: Well, and through all this, how do you hold on to your own faith and belief system?
2: Oh, wow. You know, I think it's so ingrained in me that it's just a part of who I am. I mean, I grew up in a very poverty-stricken, very, very, um, uh, very non-functional family with a lot of alcoholism, a lot of drugs. And, and, um, and so when I had that visitation at seven, that's what I held on to. And people would say to me, how can you be such a lovely being considering what you went through in your childhood? And, and I'll, my response to them is, father is the only real parent I've ever known. And I knew as long as I listened to that voice that my life would be okay, that, that my life would be safe and secure. And I don't mean that I haven't gone through the crap that people go through. I have, obviously. Um, but I know that there's a greater greater purpose in everything, and I may not understand it. But there is. And all I can do from a day-to-day basis is live in my integrity and honesty and do life the way that I think my father wants me to do it.
0: Mm. Chapter uh, chapter 22, the other side. Is there a heaven and or hell? I don't think so. My personal belief.
2: Um, I don't think so. I, I think that... Um, heaven and earth kind of exist within the universe according to the frequency of as you pass, um, what your deepest belief is, not fear in the moment of passing, because I think all of us have fear when we, when we get ready to, to leave our physical body consciously. Um, but what your deep belief is, is what your particles will move into as you move out of this existence. Um, I think the other side is just a, continuation of the variable of particles Um, and you can see what's taking place. And what I think where I differ from a lot of people is I don't believe that when souls leave their earthly body um, that they have opinions and angers and resentments and regrets and so forth. I, I think that the serenity on the other side is, is profound Um, and amazing, and 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 truly unconditional. So I don't buy into the premise, Um, and even when it's chaotic energy, even if your belief system is satanic or whatever, um, chaos is a natural order of the progression of growth. And so it's not that you're doing a disservice, um, you're continuing the process of growth also. So I I think it's really getting out of the the cultural beliefs that we have of the other side. I think heaven and hell are what we choose to make of it as we cross.
0: Right. And and when you say the other side, what exactly do you mean by the other side?
2: I I mean that every space where there is not uh, a human body. Um, You know, we've got human bodies and we've got houses and you know we've got all these physical structures that are still particles. Um, but everything, there's no such thing as empty space. So if I'm sitting here talking to you, between us is a tremendous amount of empty space, and that's still the other side. If I were to tap into that, I would still find the other side. It's not out in some unimaginable galaxy. It's, It's here with us every moment um and so the other side is part of who we are it's the opposite of where we are in this physical embodiment mm. that make sense yeah. i don't know if yeah, I no, understand that well.
0: no it does make sense thank you so much um so you also say that god is nothing and god is everything talk to us yes yeah.
2: yeah again it comes back to what is your belief system and the belief system that you have is you know is god your world father your world goddess spirit creator I, I don't care what label you put on it but it's it's everything and it's nothing because we're coming back to the understanding that we are just particles and and that those particles have their um their frequency and so it's everything and it's nothing. It's the observer and it's the it's the judgment. It's it's again the polar opposites. So so God is everything. But when you reach the true observer state, then then God is nothing. And I don't mean that in a negative invalidation sense. It's because you become part of it and so therefore it's no longer separate
0: from you. Uh. Um, in the in the book you talk about the way you met with David and his wife Marie, how did you help David come to his decision of letting go?
2: Yeah it, it was really um, uh, this is the one where she was getting um, a lot of uh, vaginal infections and um, she was basically allergic to him uh, allergic to his his sperm and he really needed to understand that, He was caught up in a very negative situation with her. Um, They were playing out patterns with each other that, um, that were not congruent with each other and neither one of them were being honest with each other. And so his, his thoughts, his desires, his beliefs uh, were not in um, coherency with her. And they were both having physical issues because of it. And, and so Basically, when I'm doing something like that, it's really sitting down going, where are you both? You know, is this really where your, where your consciousness needs to go, where your spiritual aspect needs to go? Um, you know, or is it time to say, we've come together to experience what we we're meant to come together and experience and it's time to move on without judgment, without anger, without any excuses? Is that where we are? And and that's, and that's really where he came to, was that's where he was. And, and he was ready to move on um, because his soul had experienced what it needed to experience um, with her. And the job then became getting her in the same place of understanding that that's what was taking place. Because I don't think anything has to be judgmental and angry when two people decide to, to part. You really have to look at, did my soul learn what I was meant to learn, and if I have, then let's move on.
0: Got it. Hmm. In in the divine spark, how did we become dense flesh?
2: Oh, I love this question. I uh, this is pattyism here. Pattyism is this, is that, <laughs> is is that? Because again, you know, I'm 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 my own train, so so it's kind of my observations. Um, but I think in the moment in time when when Creator when Source became consciousness, that there was a time when um, there was there was a time when um, we broke off from Source. That Source said, "I need to have more emotion," and um, and when Source made that decision, we broke off and. We became our own individual souls, and I think that in that moment, everything we were ever going to um, experience throughout our existence was contracted in that moment. Um, and so, when we when we came to this planet, we were still light beings. We were still beings that we uh, were not shape, we were not form. And the one part of the Bible that makes sense, I'm not a Bible thumper, but the the one part of the Bible that made really major sense to me was John chapter one verse one. And it said first there was the word and the word was God and the word was within God. It doesn't say first there was God and then the word. It says first there was the word and what's a word? Words of frequency, right? And if you go down to verse thirteen it says, and the word created form. And I think what happened was we came to this planet as etheric beings, we didn't have shape or form, and we began developing emotions. We began developing fear. And as we began developing fear forgetting every available resource, when we began developing fear, our vibrations started slowing down. And as it started slowing down, those emotions, those words started creating us into dense flesh. Because it says, and the word created form. It doesn't say God created form. The word created form. Okay. And I think what's really being said is we created the density. And so over, you know, however many years we evolved, we reached a point where um, we became so dense we were no longer in sync with the universe. And we created as beings we created the what is called the auric field our chakra system as an add-on to our body in order to um, continue to be in harmony with the universe and over the last 5,000 years or so we've managed to muck it up and so so many modalities focus on the auric field and it's like well wait a minute you know that was an add-on i mean yeah you can work there if you want But if you really want to get to the core, you have to work within the subtle energy field. You have to work to the energy field that we came to this planet with, and that will start to shift things for you from a physical plane. So in my world, what happened was when we started creating the emotions that were less than unconditional, we started becoming dense into who we are today.
0: As your sight has changed, is it harder for you to see people in human form?
2: It is. Um, it's it's I describe it as when you're watching television and and the cable goes out and you get snow. Mm-hmm. That's my world. And and that's my world nonstop. So I recognize people more by their frequency uh, versus their their personal appearance. I really don't see the personal experience. Uh, appearance. It, it's very challenging to slow my frequency down um, so that I can see their their features. I really go by how I feel. And I do that in everything. It was amusing years ago because I had decided to have my house painted. And, uh, you know, my close friends know how I see and how I work. And we were out on out the boat and having margaritas. And, and I said, um, so I'm having my house painted tomorrow. And there was dead silence. And everybody said, um, yeah, has Anybody looked at the color other than you? And I'm yeah. like, No, and they're like, oh, take us back and show us the paint chip because you know, for all we know it's fluorescent purple or whatever. And I, I did good. It was a it was a green. But when I when I ran my finger down through there because I can't see specific colors, um, hmm. I can tell you something's a green, but I would never be able to tell you what shade of green it is. Um, and so and so I just run my finger down through until something feels right. And I take it from there. And I trust that that's that's right for me. And I do the same thing with people, um, is what feels right to me and not what is a physical presence.
0: Got it. So so how do you find this color inside ourselves? Is there one color or many? And does it change?
2: It does. There's many and it always changes. Your frequency is changing moment to moment. And so colors will always change as your frequency changes. And it will change every single time you do it. So it's not, about, it's not about a right or wrong color. Again, all of them are simply providing you a logical explanation of how you're moving frequency. And that's all it is.
0: Mm, absolutely. Okay, Patty, in our last remaining minutes, tell our listeners where they can purchase your book.
2: They can purchase my book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble's local bookstores. Uh, have it across the country. Um, They can also purchase it in London and Australia and so forth from Amazon and in their given countries. Um, And so it's God Within, The Day God's Train Stopped, Um, and so they can purchase it there.
0: Perfect. So what's next for Patty Conklin?
2: Um, Another book. um, You know, work is is tremendously busy, Um, and so I've been training um, students uh, within their own gifts. Um, I don't expect carbon copies, but um, to kind of take some of the load off of me. Um, I'm moving into my 58th year in a couple of weeks and, um, you know, starting to look at 62 as to whether or not I'll transition. Um, and so I'd like to get another book out there because I think my philosophy has some merit. And um, I just kind of work with that and enjoy my houseboat, my children and my grandchildren. So, you know, it just continues on, same same.
0: Wonderful. Well, Patty, when you get done with that book, please come back and tell us about that book. um, And definitely send us a book because I I especially want to thank my production team, Larry, Brooke, and Kelly, for helping me in reading the book and understanding every chapter of it. Thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you so much, Tony. Take care.
0: Our thanks to Patty Conklin. Patty uh, is a world-class energy healer, facilitator, and author. You can learn more about Patty by going to pattyconklin.com. Like Patty Conklin Inc. on Facebook and follow Patty Conklin Inc. on Twitter. You are listening to Healing From Within with Tony Balin here on Block Talk Radio, airing Monday through Friday, six PM Eastern, five PM Central. Visit our website, HealingFromWithin.net, or contact me directly, Tony, at TonyValen.com. Please follow the show on Twitter, at TVHFW. The show is also available on iTunes and YouTube. Just search Healing From Within with Tony Valen or look for the Tony Valen channel on YouTube. Thank you so much and love and light from all of us here at Healing From Within.